This is Smart Women, Smart Power, a podcast that features conversations with some of the world's most powerful women. I think the NFL's efforts to actually just diversify the NFL, um, especially for, for women and for people of color, have been have been great. You know, I also think that we could all do a better job talking about the different roles that women actually have. We feature thought leaders at all career levels, where we explore, among other things, the many contributions that women make to the fields of international business, national security, foreign policy, and international development. Does having women in positions of power influence the outcomes of decisions in these fields? Why or why not? Join me, Dr. Kathleen McInnes, director of the Smart Women Smart Power Initiative at the Center for Strategic and International Studies for these incredible conversations. The Smart Women Smart Power Speaker Series is supported by City. I'm Dr. Kathleen McInnes, a senior fellow in the International Security Program and director of the Smart Women, Smart Power Initiative here at the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. We are so thrilled to be joined today by Sandra Douglas Morgan. Sandra serves as the first Black woman to lead as a president of an NFL team when she became the president of the Las Vegas Raiders. Prior to her current role, she served as the chair of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, where she led the gaming industry during the COVID-19 pandemic, which will be explored more during the conversation today. We are all in for a fascinating discussion. I'd like to thank my colleague, Emily Harding, who is CSIS Senior Fellow and Deputy Director of the International Security Program and our in-house NFL expert for moderating this conversation. So thrilled to have you here today, uh, not only because of your leadership and the wonderful things that you've done for the NFL and for the Game Commission, but also because I'm a huge football fan. In my mind, um, a football team that's performing at its best is really the epitome of teamwork, um, the precision of it, the everybody doing exactly the role that they're meant to do. And it's just a beautiful thing when it comes together on the field. So I want to talk a little bit about football, but also uh, talk about you and your journey to where you are right now. So first of all, we love to start off with the origin story. Can you talk a little bit about your career and how you got to where you are today? Sure. Thank you so much for, for having me. It's really an honor to be here and be able to meet um, all of you at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. So thank you, first of all, for having me. You know, when I talk about my origin story, it's, I don't, it wasn't um, mapped or planned, I think, as I expect. And I'm sure many, many of us um, feel that same way. So I grew up in Las Vegas. I ended up there because my father retired at Nellis Air Force Base and served in, as served in as a veteran. And the area that I lived, um, it was near the Air Force Base or when we ended up kind of growing up. And most people there at that time are thinking, you know, late 70s, early 80s, had a parent in the gaming industry and had a parent that had some type of military service just because of where we live and the proximity of where we lived. And at that time, Las Vegas maybe had 400,000 people and we're now well above, you know, two and a half million. Um, so it was, it was a smaller community and it was common to have a parent working day shift, one working swing shift, and just kind of understanding that that was, you know, kind of the working middle-class area that we all kind of lived in. And my mother is first generation Korean American. My father's African American. And um, they always just really supported my, me and my sister and everything that we wanted to do, but also in, it always instilled the importance of education and obtaining, you know, that college degree, which was something that um, they did not have. So there really wasn't a choice. And um, education was always important. As you know, it's really important in certain cultures to not disappoint your parents, I'm sure mm. in several, mm. maybe more than others. <laughs> um, and so then I ended up going to UNR, um, University of Nevada in Reno for undergrad, um, majored in political science, took a constitutional law course. And we were talking about um, 
just different suspect classifications and con law and how that um, kind of that, that ended up, whether it be a traditionalist view of interpretation of the Constitution versus it being a living document. And I thought, this is really interesting. And I didn't have to get maybe a full-time job right away. So I chose to go to law school. <laughs> um, always then thought I'd end up in California because Nevada, and this kind of goes back to why it's just such an honor to lead an NFL team where I grew up, um, never really had a strong medical school or even a law school at that time. And so we were losing a lot of talent. And there was always discussions, I remember, as a child and as a teen of what we can do to make sure that Nevada st talent stays in Nevada because mm -hmm. there weren't really a lot of professional um, school opportunities, schooling opportunities after the fact. So I always thought I'd end up in California or maybe somewhere um, else to go to law school and ended up being in the third graduating class at the UNLV Boyd School of Law. Wow. So it opened and it actually got its first part of public funding while I was an interning at the Nevada legislature, um, ended up there. And I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, but I didn't know why there were no lawyers in my family. And I remember vividly that first kind of day of orientation of law school, look to your left, look to your right, you know, someone's not going to be there when you, when you graduate. Yeah. Um, and just many other issues, not seeing a lot of people that looked like me there, but also not having, you know, an aunt, uncle, cousin, mother, father to kind of say, what is this process going to look like? Um, so I just knew I wanted to pass the bar and, and get to work um, and ended up working at a mid-sized law firm. And then got, the, got a great opportunity at, at a fairly young age after that to be in-house at MGM Orange, which um, I don't know if anybody here would admit to watching the show Vegas at the time with Josh <laughs> Dale, but it was funny. It was entertaining. But it, as a young lawyer, having access to surveillance across, you know, the um, which was great evidence, most of the time good for me, sometimes not so good, um, but really um, learned and enjoyed that I enjoyed being part of an organization. Then um, went to the city of North Las Vegas, which is a, may still only be the only majority minority city in the state of Nevada. And went there at, when it was one of the fastest growing, fifth fastest growing city in the nation. And then when the recession hit, having a, um, foreclosure on every street. So mm -hmm. that was really kind of when I also gained some additional experience on crisis management, yeah. if you will, and, and making sure that you're not just kind of advocating for your client, but when your client is actually a community that needs, you know, police, fire, parks, and, and recreation services. Um, and then after that uh, time, I uh, decided to go back into the private sector and went to AT&T. Um, and during that time, I was appointed to the Athletic Commission, which um, is a regulator for boxing and mixed martial arts, which of course has been a host of many, many events in Las Vegas, then to the Gaming Commission, and then was appointed chair of the Nevada Gaming Control Board, which in Nevada, um, it's uh, one of the um, highly regulated industry, but also an incredibly important industry to the state uh, and had wonderful goals. And I still, I did accomplish many of them, <laughs> but um, then the COVID pandemic hit um, at a time where we knew it was coming. I think there was a little bit of a denial as to how quickly it would hit and how it would affect our economy. And um, that, then we had to deal with that challenge there. And then I went uh, back to private practice after that and, and ended up meeting Mark Davis um, when I was serving on the Super Bowl host committee that'll be there in Las Vegas in 2024. And 
ended up uh, now being in my current position as president of the Raiders. So. Yeah, sometimes the, the twisty paths for a career are the most interesting. Uh, and clearly, you know, you've been put in some very important positions at critical moments, having to deal with the crises. Uh, I want to come back to COVID in just a second. Um, but the, the 2008 financial crisis, you know, the next question I wanted to ask you anyway is about community and how you operate within the Las Vegas community and how the Raiders play a role really forming a community around the team. Uh, reasonably new to the city, but popping into a really rich environment there um, where you've got a lot of fans who are ready to go. So can you talk a little bit about the, the 2008 financial crisis and how there was a rebuilding of Vegas and then how you think the Raiders being there plays into the sense of community in the town? You know, Las Vegas truly is an amazing city. One, because it's always going to have the best dining, entertainment, and the goal is to continue to attract the 35 to 40 million visitors that, that come there every year, right? And because of that, it's also been an incredibly resilient city. Obviously, I'm from there. I, I love it. I've seen it's re the city reinvent itself time and time again and overcome just devastating um, economic tragedies and also um, community tragedies, whether it be one October or the um, recession. And it's always been able to rebuild and grow, because especially when times when you're going through stress like that, people want to then come back and enjoy um, and, and enjoy the city, enjoy each other, and have a good time. And for during the financial crisis, um, though, you know, we we have a very strong and resilient working class. These are people that provide customer service, again, to people all over the world. And it's a place that I grew up in because my mother served in that industry. Um, and, and because of that, though, they're their income is dependent on, you know, the tourist, tourist economy. So every time we deal, we'll, we deal with that, we as Nevadans always look at how we diversify our economy, how we give our residents and our children the tools that they need to survive, you know, difficult times, but also be able to embrace the gaming industry and what it does and see how it's expanding into tech and into entertainment and obviously now into sports as well and being able to kind of provide a more holistic entertainment experience that isn't just dependent on, on gaming and gambling. The financial crisis and the recession that actually affected um, the city of North Las Vegas is really when a really defining moment for me because I also lived in that city um, that I was working in, which I think is really important because you actually have a, a tone and a pulse on the community, making sure that we had dispatchers and law enforcement officers and firefighters and park, uh, parks and, and availabilities and rec centers for people and um, programs after school programs. These are basic services that really affects someone's quality of life that were really being threatened at that time. Um, so it was about more than me. It was about more than the bottom line. It was a, really about a community and, and ensuring people wanted to feel safe and loved and welcomed where they lived. Um, and that was a time that I really so chose to step up. And I realized that you have a lot of people around and some people have a lot of ideas. Are they willing to take that risk and fight for them? And I think that there was a moral compass um, for many people at the table. And I definitely think that women brought a different view to that when you're thinking about, yes, we need obviously law enforcement, we need um, safety and security. We also need uh, to protect those that are the most vulnerable, whether it be childcare facilities and um, other recreations and our schools, most importantly. So it was um, a collaborative effort, um, happy to have gotten through it. And then um, you know, there's just always just going to be another challenge around um, the bend. But for me, it was really important to encourage anyone, but definitely women to kind of speak up when there's challenging things like that, because we all have different point of views and different um, potential consequences that I think maybe your 
average <laughs> mayor or you know elected official or even city manager wouldn't necessarily think about the kind of um, the, the devastating after effects. And it's always social services that are the first things to be cut, um, unfortunately. But you know when you have the right people at the table, I understand that people need not just a safety net, but but a community to be able to kind of push through and, and get through those difficult times. I can mm. talk about that recession forever. So. I know <laughs> well, there's gonna, other topics you have. But. We're going to come back and talk about uh, decision-making during a crisis during okay. COVID at the end when okay. we talk about your your particular story. But I want to talk a little bit about your leadership day-to-day. You are at the top of a very large and I'm assuming somewhat high-pressure organization. Uh, those of us who are just football fans get to show up on Sundays and watch and cheer. But you know, you're living it day in and day out and working to build this massive team. Um, more than 200 employees, if I understand, oh, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So talk about your how you lead this massive organization. Sure, full-time. And then we have, of course, an amazing group of of part-time employees as well that help with game day and that Mm -hmm. game day experience. You know, I came in, honestly, not knowing what to expect. There isn't necessarily a playbook for for team presidents because there's there's 32, right? Um, But the Raiders have such a rich um, history Mm -hmm. and dedicated, not just fan fan base, obviously, with Raider Nation, uh, but also employees and the most passionate owner who genuinely cares about the fan more than anything else, the fan experience more than anything else. So I wasn't quite sure what what I was stepping into, I think, like most people when they take uh, take a new position. Um, But what I realized is that it always comes down to the people. Mm -hmm. Um, We have to give the fans the greatest experience um, possible. We have to show them that we're doing everything we can, obviously to, I, I can't help. Well, I can help much in supporting obviously coach and GM to do what they can on the field, but I should be doing as much as I can. And I am doing as much as I can to support the off the field efforts with our business operations, whether it be our retail environment or our stadium. Um, I have to brag a little bit. We got the number one uh, billboard box score uh, for the year last year Ooh. for Allegiant stadium and being able to now to have the Raiders being able to own a stadium Mm -hmm. and um, not necessarily be a tenant, but be involved in every step of that fan experience and in, in engaging that fan experience and improving it and also having, you know, non-Raider events and in the off season, whether it be concerts, other sporting events, obviously I mentioned the Super Bowl that's coming and we're going to host the, the Pro Bowl. Yes, yeah, the Pro this Bowl year. is actually Fabulous. next week. And um, the NCAA Men's Final Four, we were just awarded that too, to oh, be in 2027, I believe. Yeah. So, you know, that bringing and having the Raiders be involved in bringing those other amazing events to the Southern Nevada um, economy also helps as well, not just for job growth, but also just for general exposure and giving other people additional things to do um, when they visit Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been great um, leading that team, whether it be our corporate um, sponsorship team, our Raider image stores um, and our sales groups as well. Yeah, I hear it's a lovely stadium. Hope to see it someday. Let's talk a little bit about women's role in the NFL. Um, it has been growing. I do love watching on Sundays and seeing ponytails sticking out of the backs of hats. It makes me very happy. Um, and like I said, you know, I'm a huge fan and I love the way that a, a team really comes together and everybody playing their particular role. What do you see as the growing role of women in the NFL? What is the NFL doing to welcome women into the ranks? I think it's amazing. I think the NFL's efforts to actually just <laughs> diversify the NFL, um, especially for, for women and for people of color have been, have been great. You know, I also think that we could all do a better job talking about the different roles that women actually have. You know, there, there is a growing number of coaches. Um, I was um, so excited to meet, you know, female referees that you kind of see there, as you mentioned, kind of the ponytails running down the field uh, before 
um, a game. We have women in the C-suite and many, many teams. Um, our chief sales officer is a woman. Our Obviously, our head of HR, our head of government relations at the Raiders, all women. Um, and of the, that we have about 240, I want to say at least a third of the, of the people for the Raiders business ops are women. Um, we have a woman on the football operations team and our data and analytics and just kind of general um, operation support. And, um, you know, women are great at logistics right? and, planning. So <laughs> and there's definitely good. going to be more opportunities. I know there's a strong um, base in business ops and I see um, a growing number of women in football operations as well. So it's just great to see. And I, it's wonderful as well to, that we support each other. You know, I, um, teams have an opportunity to practice uh, for about a week in preseason. And um, we did that with the Patriots um, this last preseason. And it was great just to meet the women in all different aspects in their organization and have them meet the Raiders. And it's just about really connecting. And I, we talked about the importance of um, one, getting to know each other. Obviously, we're going to compete on game day, but you know, on, on the business side, we can definitely talk, collaborate, and then on football as well on best practices and what we can do to support each other and grow in the roles because it's, it is about our team, obviously, first, but it's also about increasing visibility and opportunity um, for other women in, in the league in general. Yeah, absolutely. It's very exciting to see. Um, you know, I coach my kid, but seeing women on the field uh, coaching, coaching in the big leagues is really, really wonderful. So let's talk about your decision. We always like on Smart Women, Smart Power to ask our guests about a big decision that they had to make, um, how they made that decision, and then whether or not they think that gender played a role or didn't play a role, their unique perspective, whether that played a role and how they made the decision. Um, so when we talked to you ahead of time, we thought that this conversation around how you handled COVID as somebody responsible for this huge industry that is highly dependent on tourism and the kind of decisions that you made going along with that. So walk us through it. What did you, what decisions did you have to make? Uh, how did you bring your particular perspective to those decisions? So it was moving quickly. You know, I, um, on the how I'll, I'll, it was, I want to say March 13th of 2020. And we talked about, um, the governor, governor and I, and, um, his team talked about, okay, what, how are we doing this? They're, they're talked about, you know, obviously disinfecting surfaces, social distancing. This is very early though. Very early. And, um, you know, we're like, okay, let's, let's, how do you do social distancing in a casino? Right. right. It's, it's incredibly difficult. So we talked about every other chair and things like that at table games and just, it was okay. Announcing to the public, we're, we're talking about it. We're thinking about it, but more to come. Um, and then the actual closure though happened right before St. Patrick's day, mm -hmm. which, you know, probably was, a big day for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. A big day for us, a big day for the state, I'm sure for, for plenty others. And, um, so the closure was the first time that casinos were mandated to be closed in the history of Nevada. There was an option to close, um, for, um, John F. Kennedy's assassination mm. in, in 63. And, um, but you know, it was, it was optional. These places are designed to run 24 seven. Um, so lit, lit, it never had really been thought out logistically. It, it's operated to be open, um, all the time to welcome people all the time. And, there wasn't really a lot of um, thought about, you know, closing casino cages. And uh, as some of you, you may know, these integrated resorts are cities within right. themselves, right? Yeah. Employing tens of thousands of people. And so for me, it was um, making sure that we were collaborating 
One, yeah, it's easy as a regulator to say, this is what you're going to do. But also we know that we have to give the people that we regulate the tools to understand this is why we're doing this. And you have to help us to kind of explain the how, because it's easy to kind of sit back and draft a resolution and sign it and kind of just walk away. But for me, again, being from Las Vegas and knowing how it's going to affect our community, I wanted to make sure one, that those stakeholders were involved, that we were in constant communication with them and that I was talking to other people on my team um, at the gaming control board. There's multiple divisions the technology division, how were those machines going to be turned off? Did we, did we have a plan in place to tell them how to expect to do that? They have to give us reports on, um, you know, how often they're being refreshed or there certain jackpots that have to be owed the progressive wow. machines that kind of link up to other, um, gaming uh, machines in other states. How is that going to be accounted for? Um, you know, an audit, we have an audit team that actually obviously audits and does date counts at the cages. How is that going to be communicated? How is how are you going to actually shut down a casino cage? What are they going to do with that cash? How is it going to be transported um, to the Federal Reserve? These are things that it's I don't think of. For yeah. a heist movie, though. <laughs> yeah. um, the investigations division, right? People are constantly being licensed, and 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 companies are, and individuals are. How is that going to be shut down, or not shut down, or actually, you know, moved to a virtual environment? Um, as regulators, you want to see the person, you know, before you give them a license, you look at right. their body language, you, you know, looking at their kind of their financial history and their personal history. How are we going to pivot to do that, you know, in a virtual environment when they're they're getting a, a privileged license that is um, very, very valuable? Yeah. And, you know, are we going to do those interviews now virtually, but then maybe wait um, to do that in person, that final approval? When is that going to be? We never knew how long the pandemic was going to end. So, um, yeah, I could go you know, on and on. But my. Um, my approach was to talk to all of those different teams and those disciplines because I, as one person, wouldn't know all of that. So to be collaborative and to encourage communication. And at that point in time, you know, people were also, also fearful of their jobs because the economy was shutting down. So you mm -hmm. have to encourage people to um, be open with their recommendations to know that, you know, this isn't about you. I don't want it. This is about, again, our community, our, our industry and how we can make sure that we can get to a point to give as much information as possible so that we have the best information to hopefully reopen in, in a safe manner. Um, reopening is a different, a whole different discussion, but um, so communication and collaboration, obviously internally talking to our stakeholders, because again, we know what we want from them in order to regulate them, but logistically, how can this happen? Are you able to close everything in one to two days? How is this going to affect um, your business? And then how is it going to affect your employees? We have to also know and communicate how many people are, have to be laid off. Um, how are we going to communicate that to our unemployment um, department? Um, how those attempts of, I hate to say this, but having tens of thousands of people, if not hundreds of thousands of people laid off, it, it really affected and killed our unemployment system. They wasn't yeah. able to process it that quickly. Um, having schools being closed, talking to law enforcement about all of that. How do you have childcare? Um, all of those I don't think a gaming regulator, and I'm saying this in most states, would have to think about, but because it was our largest industry and how right. it had that ripple effect on so many other um, industries, it was. And so it was. It became much more than just gaming. And, um, you know, kudos to the governor for doing, and, and many other governors, obviously, for doing the best that they could in that environment. But having that one industry be closed just certainly had a ripple effect. And talking about um, testing capability there just wasn't that capacity that Vegas had the interesting though dynamic of having so many other relationships and having CEOs of gaming companies that were operating in Macau and other jurisdictions. So almost kind of had, um, you know, because of those things that were happening in January, we were able to kind of 
obviously not not necessarily predict, but see how the virus was going to be spread, have access mm-hmm. to masks and testing equipment. So that was a collaboration with our gaming mm-hmm. companies to be able to use private planes to file to fly those masks and other PPE over that they were not only giving to their employees, but giving to law enforcement and to firefighters and to first responders and working with them on deploying them to hospitals as well. It was really kind of a group effort, but I think having people from different backgrounds all at the table to understand how it was affecting our hospital system um, and having gaming companies actually working with hospitals to do that in my mind, wouldn't happen anywhere else other than Nevada. And one, because of the resources and the business relationships that they had. And then two, with it being, it, it is, it's growing, but it's still a very small community to make sure that we were at a place to have, you know, the sheriff, the CEOs of companies, the head of, this, of the school district and gaming regulators and the governor all in one room, making, um, making sure that we had all of the resources available to, um, to kind of at least be able to protect our community. The one thing I do think that gender played a role in is, um, everyone was kind of scrambling and we knew that, um, we needed to find a way to have a safe reopening of the the gaming industry. And that ended up happening about three months later in June. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't obviously at full capacity and it it was definitely restricted occupancy. Um, and people were, although people were working together, some people were, you know, kind of running and going different ways. And as a gaming regulator, it was okay. Everyone's going to come to a gaming control board hearing, which is usually for licensing and discipline. But we heard from people, um, our ambulance community, we had the head of our County hospital there. We had our chief of fire department there to talk about how, if someone were to be, um, infected with a virus or test positive, and maybe they flew in, how are we going to find a way to isolate, isolate them and give them treatment? Mm-hmm. And it was really kind of a step-by-step process, but um, people were working separately um, to come to that conclusion, but I don't think anyone thought that that hearing would have taken place at a gaming uh, <laughs> in a gaming control board <laughs> hearing. I think looking back, and they would have thought maybe health, uh, the health department would have, other people would, and the health department was there. But it was, look, if, if we're going to really welcome 40 million people and want to welcome 40 million people, obviously not right away, but slowly back, they need to know what our plan is. Yeah. They need to know about, you know, whether it be um, that, you know, how people are going to be isolated, how people are going to be protected, what healthcare services are going to be available to them. And, you know, are people going to be temperature checked? Are people going to have to wear masks? Are there going to be hand washing stations actually on the casino floor? And so it's funny now, you know, walking around and I still think, oh my gosh, there's so many people here because it was a time where it was very desolate. Mm-hmm. But um, I do think, um, again, wanting to be collaborative and be transparent so people really knew what to expect. We know that women um, control a lot of how fa- family dollars are spent and how and, and want to plan and want to know what to expect before just kind of hopping on a plane and, and coming to Vegas, which we welcome those guests too, obviously. Um, but I think for this, this knowing how divisive of an issue it was um, to be as transparent as possible. And people would say, oh, people don't care about that. And I think being a, a woman and being a mother actually gave me just a different lens on saying, yeah, you may not care about it, but people want to hear about it. And what's the harm if we're sharing what the right. process is, right? Right. Um, it's better for us to kind of be upfront and tell people versus them kind of fly to Vegas and, and find out and it'd be not what they expected. Yeah. Well, clearly one of your strengths is attention to detail because the list of things you had to think about just to go through those decisions is amazing. Um, 
One of the questions that we got from the audience before we started today was what advice you would have for women who are following behind you. So if you were going to reach out to somebody who was graduating from law school um, today or in the spring and we're looking at a career that was going to be, you know, looking at maybe the tourist industry or looking at the sports industry, what kind of advice would you give them? Not to be afraid to take risks. Um, I spent probably my first half of my career thinking this is having this image of what it is like to, you know, either be an attorney or be an executive and a little bit of a wait your turn, which I, mm-hmm. I, I understand, right. You have to kind of build and, and, and want to, um, grow your skill set. Um, but I also know that you have to advocate for yourself and you have to be willing to take a chance. And I didn't really start doing that until the latter part. You know, I, I'm very open about saying, I want to learn about different experiences, different industries, different people. I really think that's a way to kind of learn and be a little bit vulnerable and, and, and be able to share. I don't know everything about um, football, <laughs> but I'm willing to try and I'm willing to learn. Or I don't know everything about the gaming industry, but being open to reach out to potential mentors and um, take a take a chance and take a risk on maybe learning and expanding your skill set. I think that's incredibly important. You know, we, you hear about women who um, or, you know, studies have shown, I think, that people look at a job description and let's say there's 10 items on it and a woman look at it and think if they don't meet every single one, maybe they won't apply. Mm-hmm. Whereas men will look at maybe say, oh, I meet two or three of those. Let's go ahead and give it a shot. We have to right. have that mindset. And we're like, it says required. Yes. But maybe it's not actually required. Right. And yep. maybe it's something you can grow and learn within right. that first, you know, six months or a year. So take a chance on yourself and take a chance on other opportunities. Yeah, that's great advice. I think for women of all ages, not just ones who are coming out of school. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being here today. Um, I have to say, number one, go Niners because they're my team and they're playing on Sunday. I'm sorry I had to do it. Uh, And then also just to close this out, you are now a year out from your very own Super Bowl hosted in Las Vegas. Where we will hopefully have the Raiders playing it. Hopefully have the Raiders playing it. Absolutely. Maybe the Niners looking to repeat, but you know, whatever. Um, are you are you feeling ready? You feeling like you got this under control? You know, I, Vegas will be ready. Like I just mentioned, Vegas is resilient. We always rise to the challenge. I just can't. I, I'm. There's a little bit of a chip on our shoulder that we have that um, we've finally been known. You know, and, and now that. There's leagues all across the world that know that we can host the biggest and, and best sporting yeah. events. And so I, it's, it's, it's the biggest show on earth, right? Vegas, we always say, is the biggest arena on earth. And so we can't wait to have um, everyone come. It's, you know, is there an interesting fact that more people come to Las Vegas to watch the Super Bowl, even when the Super Bowl is obviously in a different area. So now to have the Super Bowl <laughs> in our town and we have, you know, so many venues that can host so many people. I'm just really, really excited for for what um, Vegas is going to do. We know we're going to roll out the red carpet for the NFL and for all the people that are coming to visit. So we can't wait. Vegas is going to rock it. Yeah. I can't wait too. thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. And good luck with the Pro Bowl next week. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for all of our listeners as well. Subscribe to the Smart Women Smart Power podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great content. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Smart Women, or you can follow me on Twitter at KJ McInnes One. Thanks for listening, and join us next time. The Smart Women Smart Power Speaker Series is supported by City.